So, uh, yeah, great to be back with you guys. Um, figures for New Day, uh, 7,500 people at New Day this year, um, 353 first-time commitments to, uh, to Jesus, and 185 recommitments. So God was doing extraordinary things uh, at New Day this year. Uh, it is so good to be back in the sham, so grateful to God for you as a local church, and you know, it's seven years this month since Janet and I relocated back to Southampton, and in 30 years of um, pastoral ministry, honestly, we can say that our time here in Hailsham was some of our very, very happiest years. Can I also say New Day's success is your success. Um, Chris Johnston, our youngest um, uh, of our three kids, was leading worship all week at New Day. And he first got the opportunity to lead worship here in this church when we were meeting at the community college all those years ago. And uh, so you need to celebrate you know, what God is doing uh, in this generation as a church. Um, a little bit of news before we dig into the Bible together. Um, we, uh, we just keep reproducing grandchildren. We've now got four. Um, so that's great news. We celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary this year as well. So, you know, we were married when we were 13. So Janet still <laughs> looks very young and she looks way younger than me. Uh, and also, just to say, God is, is rebuilding the dream team at uh, KCC in Southampton. So Tom Williams, who got saved in this church, he's doing such a good job leading our Totten site with his wife, Ali, and they had a new little boy this week called Noah. Uh, obviously, Chris and Kaz are with us. They had a, uh, a little boy seven months ago called Theo, and M.A. and Joe got. Remember M.A., many of you, he was a youth leader here. Um, they moved back from Manchester to rejoin us, and they have got a little one-year-old son called Reuben. Uh, so basically, that forms the, the central core of the midfield of the King's Community Church football team. In about 20 years' time, all three of these great young guys uh, having sons. But on a serious note, you know, God has given us the opportunity of inputting and shaping these young leaders, and it is such a privilege. So this morning, we are going to look at the story of two brothers, and I've called it, Which Brother Are You? Which Brother are you? We're going to be looking at the story of Jacob and Esau because I understand that's the bit of the Bible that you're focusing focusing on over the summer. Um, of course, it's not the only Bible story that focuses two brothers who didn't get on very well together and caused their father a great deal of pain. In the New Testament, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. Two brothers, the younger one, a life of wine, women, and song. The older brother, a life of slavish obedience. But actually, he is just as dysfunctional as his younger brother, both in his life 
and his relationship with his father. But he doesn't really realize it. But our story today is not just about two brothers. They're actually twin brothers and they're born just a few minutes apart. So let's have the Bible story in video form. God's story, Jacob and Esau. So part of God's story is about twin brothers, and it begins like this. Once, there were twins named Jacob and Esau, and they didn't get along. They actually started fighting before they were born. Then during birth, Esau came out first, but Jacob was holding on to his heel. That's not normal, and they even look different. The Bible says Esau's body was covered in so much red hair, it was almost like he had clothes on. Jacob's skin was smooth. Well, they got even more different as they grew up. Esau hunted animals and spent time outside. Their dad, Isaac, was a big meat eater, so Esau was his favorite. Jacob, on the other hand, was a quiet guy who liked to stay indoors. Their mom, Rebecca, liked Jacob the best. The Bible doesn't talk much about Jacob and Esau as kids, but we do know Esau was lucky to be the oldest because he had what's called a birthright. That meant Esau would be in charge of their family, including all their money, land, and stuff. Jacob would probably have to work for his brother Esau, and their dad Isaac would give Esau a blessing, which means Isaac would ask God to take care of his oldest son Esau in an extra special way. Well, you probably think Esau was pretty excited about this, but he wasn't. In fact, one day he gave it up. He'd just returned from a hunting trip. Since he was out killing animals all day, he didn't have time to eat. He came home starving. Jacob was making stew, so Esau said, Quick, give me some of that stew. I'm very hungry. Now, Jacob was a little sneaky, so he didn't just share the stew with his hungry brother, which would have been nice. Instead, he said, First, sell me your birthright. And guess what? Esau said yes. It's a little like paying a million dollars for a bowl of mushy soup. We don't know why Esau did that. But the Bible says he didn't care about the birthright. It's a great video, isn't it? I think we, we need a couple of characters who are going to play the part of Jacob and Esau. So uh, obviously I'm realizing we do have twins in the room, but they're quite small. So we use brothers. So Chris Joyce, where are you? And is Mark here? Mark, can, come on, let's have you up the front. Big round of applause. So let me introduce you to Brother Esau. Brother Esau. Of course, he's the ginger. He's the redhead. Verse 25 of the passage. He's his father's favorite, I'm afraid, Mark. He's got some really, really good qualities. So... He is strong. Let's see the muscles. He gets to the point. He's a blunt character. And later in the story, he's actually very forgiving. And he's very generous towards his brother, who is not a very nice person. But bad qualities. He's wasteful. He is way too quick to make decisions. And he fails to think through and he can't appreciate the true value of what something is worth. So that's Brother Esau. Now Brother Jacob. Oh, I should have finished, actually. The worst thing about Esau, so just to rub it in, he is immoral, 
and he is unholy. Serious here. And when he messed up, and we are serious here, he fails to repent of his sin. And that's especially important because the reality is we all mess up, but actually God is looking for a heart of repentance. And that's never where Esau comes to. And you can read about that in Hebrews chapter 12. Anyway, Jacob, the younger twin. I don't know why this Jacob is bearded, because I don't think Jacob in the Bible would have had a beard, because he was a very smooth man. He was smooth in skin, and he was a smooth operator. He was a bit of a bookworm. Uh, He was very good at school, I think. He was a bit of a mummy's boy as well. Bad qualities. He was a cheat. He was a con man. He was self-seeking. He was grasping. His name actually means grasper, Jacob. No, that's, uh, and he was also heartless and unbrotherly in how he, tweet, he treated his older twin. Here's the question I want us to think about this morning. So I think Brenda's looking really worried here. <laughs> And offended. And offended. And he's looking quite chilled. Why did one brother receive the grace of God and the other did not? Actually, it's amazing to reflect how either of them ever received the grace of God. Why did God ever love either of these two villains? Both different characteristics but equally sinful. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. But a big round of applause to Jacob and Esau. Well, the story, of course, families are really important in the Bible, especially in Genesis. So the family tree, you've got Abraham and Sarah, you've got Isaac and Rebekah, and then you've got Jacob and Leah slash Rachel. All of these families struggled to have children. Why? Because God wanted to show his people that they have to lean into him and trust in him and not in their own resources. Isaac and Rebecca um, failed to have children for a very long while. Meanwhile, Isaac's half-brother Ishmael has 12 strapping sons. But at age 60, Isaac, so that's basically my age, the thought of me becoming a grandfather at this age, you know, I'm a grandfather now, the thought of becoming a father at 60 or a mother at 60 is uh, uh, quite a, a big thing. But that's what happens to Isaac and Rebecca. Age 60, they finally conceive. It's a tough pregnancy. Rebecca is carrying twins, and as we saw in the video, it's like these twins are at war inside of her. There are arms and legs everywhere in the pregnancy. And she gives birth to two boys. Esau comes out first. He's covered in red hair. And Jacob comes out seconds later, holding on to Esau's heel, almost like he is trying to get ahead 
of his older brother, even at birth. And it's a prophetic picture, if you like, of what Jacob will become. He is going to be one who supplants his brother, and he grasps after his brother's inheritance. That's what the name actually means. As we've said, they grow up into two very different characters, the sporty type and the bookworm. And we saw in the video how one day Esau, after spending huge amounts of time outdoors hunting, arrives home hungry. Jacob's been busy with mummy in the kitchen. She's made uh, with him some red lentil stew. Esau smells it. It smells fabulous. He asks his brother for something to eat. Jacob's mind is immediately in overdrive. Just sign here, he says to Esau. And before he realizes what he's done, Esau signs away his whole inheritance. Dad is a wealthy man, but Esau gives up his entire inheritance due to him as the elder brother when his dad died, all for a bowl of lentil stew. Well, I'm not a big lentil fan, but even if I was a big lentil fan, I would not sign away my inheritance for a bowl of lentil stew. Can you believe, A, that anyone would be so stupid? But B, can you believe that anyone would be so devious? How stupid is Esau and how devious is Jacob? Their lives are never the same from this point. So what I want to do in just the 10 minutes or so that we've got left is look at three things. What does the story tell us about God? What does the story tell us about ourselves? And what do we do with this story? How do we actually apply it to our lives? So first of all, what does it tell us about God? Well, first of all, we need to know that God is a God of miracles. The book of Genesis can be summed up in three simple sentences. Number one, God made a perfect world giving human beings over authority over everything, but people mess up. Number two, God is restoring our broken world. And number three, he starts the process of restoration beginning with one man and promises to bless the whole world through that one man, Abraham. Now, in the process of God restoring the world through one man and his family, he deliberately chooses to work through couples who struggle to have children in order to show that he is a God of miracles. Abraham and Sarah get pregnant in their 90s. Isaac and Rebecca get pregnant in their 60s. And Jacob and Rachel struggle for many years to have children. So we, as God's people, need to lean in and celebrate that we worship this morning a supernatural God. Just in driving here this morning, Janet and I were chatting about a particular pastoral situation in our local church. It's very bleak. I won't go into the details this morning. Um, 
Janet spend some time with someone recently, and her story is just tragedy after tragedy. She needs a supernatural breakthrough from God. And if that's you this morning, I'd encourage you, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, lean into the God who is supernatural, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the Bible. He's the same God today. Notice as well how God deliberately, time after time after time, chooses the younger brother, not the older brother. So Abraham and Sarah, God chose Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac and Rebekah, God chose Jacob, not Esau. And Jacob and Leah slash Rachel, God chose Judah, who was the fourth son. Remember, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. And the 11th son, Joseph, not Reuben, who was the eldest son. Why? Why does God seem to repeat this pattern of not choosing the firstborn son? Why? Because he wants to show us as his people, that his work in our lives is all of grace. It's not based on our entitlement and it's not based on our performance. So what does this story tell us about God? It tells us he's a supernatural God and he's a God of grace. What does this story tell us about ourselves? Well, first of all, it tells us that both sons and therefore all of us as sinners, because these two sons represent the whole human experience. So Esau is the appetite-driven sort of person, sex, drugs, and rock and roll character. Jacob is the schemer. He's the sort of person who fiddles his taxes, who's jealous, who's selfish, who's proud, the sort of person who commits what we might call respectable sins. But whether you're an Esau sinner or a Jacob sinner, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We've all messed up. It's easy to look at Esau and say, what an idiot. And that's absolutely true. He was spectacularly foolish. But Jacob is at least just as sinful. But he's a sly sinner, isn't he? often think about me and my little brother when I think of this story. I'm 15 months older than him. And I think, in reality, I'm more of a Jacob and he's more of an Esau, even though I'm the older one. When we were growing up, we were both just as disobedient and just as naughty as kids, just as sinful. But I was cleverer in my sinful behaviour. We used to fight a lot. So one Christmas, my parents bought us boxing gloves just so there were limits to our physical abuse of one another. When we crossed a line, my dad would discipline us. And in those days, that involved corporal punishment. It involved smacking. My brother would bite his lip and would never, ever, ever shed a tear. Very dumb move. Why? He just got hit more than I did. My tactic, and it was very sneaky, cry quickly. And then dad thinks he's hurt me. He hasn't really hurt me, 
but he'll stop hitting me. I was no more sorry for my poor behaviour than my little brother. I was just more cunning than him. Making out I was in deep pain and distress for my father smacking me, which I, I wasn't. What's the lesson for us? It's all sin. Whether it's big sin or little sin. Whether it's respectable sin or whether it's unrespectable sin. The reality is we have all messed up. We're all sinners. That's what the Bible teaches us. Romans 3.23. We've all missed the mark. We've all come short, fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in the same boat this morning. Esau's sin is evident to all. I've already said the Bible describes him in Hebrews 12.16 as immoral, unholy and godless. He failed to repent. He's full of remorse. He's full of regret at selling his inheritance for a single meal. But he never, ever comes to a place of repentance. Remorse and regret is saying, oh my word, what have I done? I've been an idiot. I wish I'd never done it. How could I be so stupid? Repentance says, how could I ever have thrown away the promises of God? God, I've messed up and I come to you and confess my sin. Ask that you'd forgive me. Repentance is thinking differently about ourselves, thinking differently about God and his promises over our lives and then acting differently as a result of a change of mind and a change of heart. But Esau had no use for God or his promises. His sin sealed his fate. Jacob, on the other hand, his sin is really nasty. He cons his brother out of thousands and thousands of pounds because he deliberately preyed on his brother's weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Jacob wrestled with everything that moved. He wrestled with his brother, but more important than the wrestling match with his brother was he wrestled with God. Many years after this part of the story, Jacob comes to a place where he recognises that his own sly, clever, deceitful, wheeler-dealing is not enough to get him to the place where he needs to be. And so he wrestles with God in Genesis 32, and he says this, God, I will not let you go until you bless me. And despite all of Jacob's sinful, devious manipulation, God hears that prayer because God loves faith. I will not let you go till you bless me, he says. And God's calling us personally and as a church as a whole to be a people of faith. God wants you, he wants me, he wants us to be people who make audacious big asks of God. He loves to reward faith. So which son are you? I'd implore you to be like Jacob. Not in his 
sinful behaviour, but in recognising he needs to lay hold of God. So response this morning, let's recognise the God that we've been worshipping this morning is the God of breakthrough miracles. He's the God who brings life from the dead. He's the God who gave Abraham and Sarah a son. He's the God who gave Isaac and Rebekah twin boys. Second, he's the God of grace. Jacob is horrible. He is completely unworthy. But you know what? God is so kind to Jacob in bringing him to the place of encounter and genuine heartfelt repentance. Let's be a people who choose to be like Jacob, not like Esau. Esau never comes to the place of repentance. Let's be a people who come to God in genuine brokenness and humility. It's reflecting this week at New Day. It's 50 years this week that I, as an 11-year-old, on a camp, I think there were not 7,500 people, but 20 people on the camp I went on as an 11-year-old. For 50 years this week, that I gave my life to Jesus, that I came to a place of repentance and faith. I've been brought up in church, but whether you're a respectable sinner or an unrespectable sinner, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We've all messed up. We all need to come in repentance and faith. And just finally, let's be a people who make big asks of God. Jacob holding on to God in this wrestling match. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Can I pray for you? And then we're done this morning. Let's stand up, shall we? Let's just respond to God. Love to pray for you. If you need breakthrough miracle, you need God to do something that you think, actually, I'm not sure that's even possible. If that's you this morning, just put your hand up. I'd love to pray for you. If you need real breakthrough. Yeah, Father, we come. Just keep your hand up as I pray. God, I come. In the mighty name of Jesus, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're our God. You're our God. And God, come to every person with their hand raised. Now, if there's someone with their hand raised near you, just put your hand on their shoulder and stand with them. He's the God of miracles He's the God who gave a child to Abraham and Sarah. A God who gave twins to Rebecca. Come, Lord, we pray. Breakthrough. We pray for miracle breakthrough. For financial provision. For jobs. For health. For salvation. For loved ones. Whatever the miracle. Come, Lord, we pray. Miracle breakthrough. 
And then let's just pray for all of us. God, I pray that every one of us would be a Jacob this morning. Every one of us. Jacob's described in Malachi as the son God loved. God didn't love him because he was a con man and a cheat and a nasty piece of work. God loved him despite that. God chose to set his love upon Jacob. God chooses this morning to set his love upon you. Do you hear that? Loud and clear. He loves you. He loves you because he loves you. Deuteronomy 7. Not because of anything you did or didn't do. He loves you unconditionally because he is for you. He sent his son to die for you. Lord, we want to emulate this morning Jacob's brokenness, his humility, his recognition that he'd messed up. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our sins like you taught us to pray. Big sins, little sins. Respectable sins, unrespectable sins. Sins that people see, sins that are done in secret. We come and confess our sin. But God, thank you that you love to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you we're clean this morning because of Jesus. We choose faith this morning. Put our trust in you. Some of us for the hundredth time. Maybe one or two for the very first time. But God, we trust you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy the sunshine. It's great to be back on the Sunshine Coast.